Welcome to the New Birth Christian Ministries podcast. New Birth Christian Ministries is located in Columbus, Ohio. Under the direction of Pastor Yavis Ellis, join us as we transform our families, school, community, and city by introducing everyone to Jesus Christ. So out of Revelations 19 and 1, and in Revelations 19 and 1, if you know anything about Revelations, this right here deals with the fourfold hallelujah. Now, I don't have time to get into it today. That's not in my notes, but I, but I, I got to give you this. It's a fourfold hallelujah. And what begins to happen is that as the end of the earth is happening, as the rapture and everything has occurred, as, as heaven begins to make war with the enemy, the reason that the angels begin to sing hallelujah, salvation, and glory it is because what happens, it says, because the Lord God is righteous and he is true. And the reason he's righteous and he's true is because he has now judged the harlot for all of the evil she's done in the earth. Okay. The reason you can have a hallelujah shout is because every single assault that the enemy has put against you, every single assault that is raised up against you, every single lie and every plan of the enemy that's came against you, he will be judged by the Lord your God and he will lose. And so we can shout hallelujah because in the end we have victory. In the end we will win. In the end we come out on top. Every demon in hell and every single harlot and every single lie and every single antichrist and everything that's not of Christ will be sent back to the pits of hell from which it came from. It will be destroyed. And that's why we sing hallelujah. It ain't no cute hallelujah. It's a war cry hallelujah. It is a war winning hallelujah. It is a battle cry hallelujah. It is a fourfold hallelujah. Hallelujah. Babylon has fallen. Hallelujah. The enemy's been defeated. Hallelujah. I'm still alive. Hallelujah. I still got the activity of my limbs. Hallelujah. Every single assault has been sent back the enemy's way. Hallelujah. I'm covered. Hallelujah. I got life. Hallelujah. I got salvation. Hallelujah. I'm covered by the blood. That's why we sing hallelujah. Not because you look good in your church clothes. Not because you just made it to the house this morning. But because spiritual warfare is happening. And there's an enemy that desires to crush you. David said it best. He said, many are they that rise up against me. Many are they that surround themselves about me. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of my head. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people, ten thousands of demons, ten thousands of devils that surround themselves around me round about. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Hallelujah. Give praise to God. Hallelujah. He deserves it. Hallelujah. The enemy loses. 
I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, for thou art a shield for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, listen. When you know that you won in the end, when you know who your father is, it makes the fight a little bit easier. When you understand the fight is fixed. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for every word, every song that's going forth. We ask that right now you prepare our minds, Father God, for this moment. You prepare our minds for this moment in time that we have to hear from you. We don't want to hear from a man. We don't want to hear from just a mere mortal, Father God, but we want to hear from you, Father God. And so we ask that right now, every single distraction, every single lie, every single thing that tries to rise up against the word of God, we speak against it in the name of Jesus, that it must flee, that it must leave, Father God. Continue to saturate this atmosphere that we have an encounter with you we don't want to just interact. We don't want to just show up. We don't want to just drive by, but we want to have an encounter with you today, Father God. And so have your way in this place, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God is good. He's incredible. Um, if you're not aware, all across the nation today is something called No Menthol Sunday. And if you're not familiar with No Menthol Sunday, um, there has been a war waging uh, against our communities. And I always talk to you about spiritual warfare. It's not just on the surface. It's a lot deeper. There's been some diabolical things that have been happening for a very long time to destroy us as a people. And one of those things has been big tobacco. It has been targeting African-American communities. And so we celebrate No Menthol Sunday um, for us who may be dealing with nicotine, who may be dealing with tobacco, uh, we want to encourage you. We want to pray with you. We want to tell you now is the time that you can stop. Now is the time that you can quit. If you're not familiar, most black people who smoke use menthol. And the reason they use menthol is because African-Americans, we need more nicotine for us to be able to get the, the, the feel that we need. And what the menthol does, it numbs the back of your throat so you can get more nicotine into your body with every puff. And so this has been done diabolically. This has been done scientifically so that you can stay addicted to cigarettes. Um, this past year, um, the city of Columbus did something, something right. Um, they started to end the sale of flavored tobacco and menthol tobacco. And the reason that's important, no, you can praise God for that. The reason that's important the, the reason that's important is because most kids who start smoking, they start with menthol cigarettes. And smoking is still the leading cause of preventable death in the United States, especially for African-Americans. And so we want to be able to pray with you. So if you want to get more information, go to makeitmakesense.org. That's makeitmakesense.org. Um, we're here with you for that. And so while we're on that vein, the Lord has been really pressing on my spirit. I've been talking to Bishop about it, elders about it about just us as a people, making sure we're taking care of ourselves, making sure we're putting ourselves in position to, to live long and to have a great, abundant, prosperous life. Uh, you can't control when you go or how you go, but you can control your quality of life while you're here. Amen? Amen? 
And so we've been trying to put some things in order, put some things in place for us to be able to just come together and, and do something, even if it's just walking. We got all this land out here. And so, you know, we want to just come out here and start walking together, start fellowshipping together, taking care of ourselves. Amen. And so, you know, we mentioned it earlier, but but I, I, I got to mention this. Um, you know, one of our beloved brothers, my, my uncle, a pillar in this church, who spent decades serving and working behind the scenes, wasn't trying to be on stage, wasn't trying to be up front. Um, Deacon Tim Price, you know, he went home to be with the Lord suddenly this past Wednesday morning. And amen, amen, amen. And, and, and although he's in glory, we know he's in glory. We know he's received his crown. We still mourn, we still hurt, we still have sorrow. And so keep his wife Stephanie in our prayers um, their children CC and Taylor and the entire family but we don't mourn like those who have no hope brothers and sisters I don't want you to be uninformed I don't want you to be misinformed because those who sleep in death listen you don't grieve like the world grieves we don't we don't sorrow like the world sorrows listen we have a hope for we believe that those who died in Jesus will rise again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him we're going to see him again and all we can do is live a life so that we will be able to see him again in glory listen even if he could come back to us, I'm telling you, he wouldn't want to come back. He say, no, nah, I'm going to stay right here where I am with the Father. But you got to live a life so that we can see him again one day in glory. Amen? Amen. And so, though we grieve, we are going to celebrate his life this Saturday, 12 noon here at the church. Visitations at 11 a.m. And I just thank God. I thank God for a life well lived. Even though it may have been cut short to you and me, he made impact in the 55 years that he was here. He had impact. He had impact. He had impact. And so, um, you know, it's, it's amazing because it leads us into what we're going to be talking about today, about impact. And I want you to follow me to an um, Old Testament text. It's in First Chronicles the fourth chapter. Now, I'm, I'm going to warn you now, we're going to read a lot today, which is good because, you know, reading is fundamental. <laughs> so we're going to do some reading today. Um, and if you have your Bible app, the notes are in your phone. You put the Bible app up, you go to your events, you hit New Birth Christian Ministries, and it's all there for you. Um, but, but, but I want you to do a good job today of taking notes. You, you're you're, you're going to need this today. It's going to be important. It's going to be vital for you. And so we're going to start at verse 1, and I'm going to just read, and then uh, when I'll stop, we stop, all right? The sons of Judah, Pharaz, Hezron, and Carmi, and Hur, and Shobal, and Riah, the son of Shobal, begat Johath, and Johath begat Ahumai, and Lahad, and these are the families of the Zorathites, and these were the father of Edom. Jezreel and Ishma and Idbash and the name of their sister was Hazapaloni and Peniel the father of Gedor and Ezer and the father of Husha these are the sons of Hur the firstborn of Ethraph the father of Bethlehem and Asher the father of Tekoa had two wives Hela and Arah and Arah bare him Azum and Hephar and Tamini and Hashatari and these were the sons of Narah the sons of Helah were Zerith and Jezorah and 
Ethanin and Kaz begat Unab and Zobabai and the families of Aharel, the son of Haram. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou would bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. And that thy hand might be with me, and thou would keep me from evil, that I may not grieve me. And God granted him what he requested. Okay. I know we read a lot, 10 verses straight. Um, but do you see what just happened? Do you see what just happened in the text? Do you see what I see? That there seems to be an interruption. Someone say, pardon the interruption. Now do it better than that. Say, pardon the interruption. After the writer is listing the lineage and the history of a family, who was born of who? Who was raised by who? Who had two sons? Who had two wives? Who had three sons? Who named their son Zareth? And who named their son Hur? And who named their sister Hespeloni? And who had a brother named Etham? Out of nowhere, they started talking about the character of a man named Jabez. They go from talking about names to talking about character. Listen, um, I know we all got a name, but what would they say about your character? When they mention you when you're not around, what would they say about you? When your children think about who you are at home, what would they say about you? When your spouse thinks about the real you that we don't see, what will the testimony read? When you think about how you treat others and how you respond to adversity and how you deal with things that come your way, what will people say about you? Listen, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but uh, uh, do you want a name that's just a name or do you want a name that makes them talk about your character when they bring you up? Do you want a name that's just a cute little name or do you want a name that makes them got to say a little bit more about you when they bring your name up, when they go to eulogize you and when your family talks about who you were uh, uh, for four generations, when they talk about you from five generations from now, what will they be able to say about you? Will they just skip over your name as that was just a name or well they got to stop and say something further about you listen will your funeral be fabricated or will they really celebrate you at the funeral where well, they got to make up a bunch of stuff about you and talk about how good you really were and what you really do. Uh, uh, do they got to try to preach you into heaven or make you be better than you really were when you were really here the question you got to ask yourself is what will they say about me Pardon the interruption, but, but what will they say about you? How is it that Jabez is talked about differently than the other 44 names before him? Over 500 names total are named in Chronicles. And after giving you 44 names, Ezra is this inspired by God to talk differently about a man named Jabez. Okay, it may not mean much to you. It may not mean much to you but but my hope personally is that I can live the kind of life for God that when people talk about me that when they talk about me they talk differently about me they talk about how I live and how I maneuver and that my life is a testimony that would change the narrative listen you got to learn to change the narrative 
I got to change the narrative. I got to interject. I got to interrupt the status quo. I got to be the one that makes them talk differently about my family, about my, my generation, about those coming after me. Does anybody want to be the one that makes them talk differently about you? Okay, the text is just one line. It says, and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. Listen, this right here is the thing that actually changes the narrative. It did not mean that the people before Jabez were not good people. It did not mean that the people before Jabez did not live a good life. I mean, well, we don't know because it did not seem necessary for them to write about the kind of life they lived. However, when it came to God moving the hand of Ezra to begin to write, when he started moving the pen of Ezra to write about Jabez, he began to move the pen a little bit differently than he did with everybody else. As God is inspiring Ezra to write these words, he begins to just write down people's names. He says that this person was begat by this person, and this person had this son, and this person had two wives, and this person had three sons. But then when he got to Jabez, Ezra tried to keep on writing about the next person, and God says, nuh-uh, we got to go back to Jabez. It's some stuff we got to say about Jabez. It's some stuff we got to write about Jabez. God took Ezra's hand and said, stop right here. I need a few more lines about my my servant Jabez, about my son Jabez. I don't know about you, but I want God to write a couple more lines about me because of the life that I lived in him. He says Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Okay, I got to make this a little clear for you. Um, Jabez being more honorable means that he has godly character. What is godly character? Uh, character does not mean you won't mess up. It does not mean you won't have some setbacks. But, but character deals with the moral fiber, and character is summed up by the totality of the entirety of someone's life. Character is not you just doing it one time. But character is you making it a lifestyle or something that you consistently do because that's who you are. Which means that at any moment, I have the ability to move past who I used to be and move into a lifestyle of living out godly character. And many of us right now have been pigeonholed. We've been stuck to the old ways of thinking and old ways of living because you messed up a couple of times and everybody wants to name you off what you messed up a couple of times. But how many of us can testify that God can move you past who you used to be and move you into who you're going to be oh my listen um and therefore since we all have agreed and testified that we all want to live a life that would change how we impact this generation, how people talk about us when we're gone. We want to live a life that calls us to be pillars. We have to learn what the pillars of godly character are so that we can start practicing, so that like Jabez, we can live a life that's more honorable than those who came before us and those who may even come after us. And so my goal today is to give you practical application, things that you can put into practice. So take out your notes, pull out your phones, because I want to make sure that you have an understanding of this so you can put it into motion immediately. Listen, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying us that now we can move toward a life of godly character. 
So let's break down a few necessary things that you're going to need in order for us to have impact like Jabez. Anybody want to have impact like Jabez? Okay. Um, we said godly character is a result. Uh, godly character is a result of having guarded thoughts. Okay. Guarded thoughts or godly thoughts. Um, we put a lot of emphasis on our actions. The things that a person may do the things that a person may say, but everything you witness was developed by a thought that then created an action, which means that in order to change my behavior, I have to change my thinking. See, see, the issue with our thoughts, the issue with our imagination is that due to our corrupt nature, due to our depravity, due to the impact that sin has had on us, when you allow your mind to wander, when you allow your thoughts to run freely, listen, it becomes problematic because there is nothing good on the inside of us that would develop a thought process or an imagination that actually would glorify God. And what happens, it becomes problematic, it becomes, it becomes the very thing that stops us from practicing godly character. Okay. Y'all acting like y'all understand what I'm saying, so let me break it down like this. <laughs> Fellas, um, this is why you can be walking past a young lady, and your mind will begin to say to yourself, I should turn around. Okay, y'all don't want to talk over here, let me go over here. Okay. So you're walking past a young lady, and you want to turn around and look, and you keep saying to yourself, don't look, don't look, and all of a sudden you look, so you're walking backwards because you're still looking, and the very thing you looked at begins to put a thought in your mind. And so now it goes from just a thought to now you thinking about what you're thinking about. It goes from a G-rated walk to now an R-rated stroll. But it started with a thought. Ladies, um, this is why you have to be mindful who you allow to speak in your ear. Because it can develop a thought process that will have you creating scenarios or realities that do not exist and have you spiraling down a rabbit hole that now has you stuck. And many of us right now are stuck in situations, stuck in relationships, stuck in things we should not be stuck in because you never allowed yourself to get rid of the thought that started the process. And the Bible tells us to hold every thought captive. Okay, if you look at 2 second, second Corinthians, around 10, uh, around the 5th verse, he says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, not only do I bow down to Christ, but I got to make every thought bow down to Christ. And so as I'm walking past her, I begin to tell myself, in the name of Jesus, you won't turn around. In the name of Jesus, you won't turn around. Holy Spirit, help me not turn around. 
Holy, I will not, in the flesh, you will not turn around. You will keep on walking. You will hold every thought captive. You will keep on going. And next thing I know, somehow, I done kept on going. You got to learn to make every thought captive. It's not that difficult when you learn to let the Holy Spirit take control on the inside of you. Okay. Every thought has to kneel. Every single imagination has to stop if Christ would not approve of it. And many times I allow something to grow. I allow something to run on in my mind because no one else can see it or no one else can hear it. But the issue is that we eventually will see it in our actions. The downfalls, the wrongs, the evils that we've done, the things we've carried out has always started off as a thought. It always starts off as a text message before you end up at the place you should not be. To take captive means that you do not let it take root. You don't give it room to grow. You constrain it. You lock it down. This is the very thing that can save your relationships even with one another. Because the moment I begin to let a thought or something that was misconstrued or something that I took the wrong way and thinking over and over and over again and I begin to give it a place in my life, a place in my mind, real estate in my life. Listen, we take something that was not meant to be offensive. We take something that was not meant to be negative. We take something that was not meant to be hurtful and we play that thing over and over and over again and we make it worse than what it was in the first place and if it goes unchecked we'll create scenarios that will mess up friendships mess up relationships mess up your family because you can't control your thoughts and I know it's going to be difficult because even right now many of us are stuck in dealing with situations because we allowed our thoughts to run crazy and did not check it at the door so how do I begin to think godly thoughts? How do I begin to take these things captive? Uh, Philippians 4.8, I want you to write this down. Philippians 4.8, you're going to need this this week because there are going to be some things that are going to be said to you. There are going to be some things that are going to be planted. There are going to be some things that are going to be suggested to you. And you better learn right now how to take every single thought captive, how to tell the devil that he is a liar, how to tell the enemy he has no place in your mind. You better learn how to talk with some authority. You better learn to talk with some power. You better learn to talk with some prestige. You better learn to talk with some sovereignty. You better learn to speak up for yourself and tell the enemy he has no more room in your mind, in your thought process. He has to stop right now. You got to chop it down at the root. <laughs> Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brethren, finally. If you do nothing else, you better do this. He said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good, report, lovely. Listen, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Okay. Uh, the issue is that our thought process is all messed up. And the reason we don't know how to live so we don't understand how to think. I can't live right because I don't think right. I can't walk right because I don't think right. I can't talk right because I don't think right. 
And it's impacting every single aspect of my life because I haven't figured out how to think the right way. My thought process has to change. My way of thinking has to shift to think into things that are true, things that are just, things that are pure, that are lovely, that are good report. And listen, if I can change the way I think, then I can begin to move toward a life that will have generational impact. See, see many times we've been taught negatively. And so we regurgitate or repeat and focus on the things that are negative. Many of us have heard our parents talk about how they're broke. We can't afford it. We ain't got it. And so therefore, the negative thinking has been taught. And so instead of shifting your thought process, we've adopted a negative thought process to now we repeat the same thing the last generation said to the generation coming after us. And all we're going to do is have them repeating the negative thoughts and the negative things that we were taught over and over and over again. And now it's a cycle or a generational curse that we can't get out of because we have not changed the thinking. And what scripture is teaching us is that what you think, what you hold on to, that is ultimately how you move forward or how you be held back. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And what made him more honorable was his godly character. I believe he had a thought process that was given over to God. Listen, you got to give every thought to God. You got to check it with God. You got to make sure that God is good with it. If it does not fit under the banner of holy, then you got to cast it down right away. Do not let that thought take place, take real estate in your mind, but you cast it down right away. Godly character, changing your thought process. Um, another thing that produces godly character that grows your character is being mindful of who you hang with. Okay. Um, <laughs> who are you in company with? Who are you spending time with? See, see, truth of the matter is, the more you grow as a believer, the more you grow in relationship with God, it should reflect in who you keep around you. Okay, this is going to be difficult. Because many of us like to talk about how Jesus hung with sinners and how Jesus kicked it with those who may not have been in the church. Um, but, but, but this right here is also a false narrative, and it downplays what Jesus came to do. Uh, whether you believe it or not, he didn't come to kick it with the sinners. He, he, he wasn't here on a kick it mission. He did not come to earth to, to, to kick it with sinners or to hang out with sinners. To, to kick it and to hang out is to be in fellowship. Okay. Just because he was in spaces that they were in, interacting with them, does not mean he was co-signing what they were doing. Okay. When you hang with somebody, when you spend time with somebody, when you become in fellowship with somebody, it is because you have things in common that you're building on. Okay. There are some people that we used to be friends with because we smoke the same thing. People that smoke Reggie don't kick it with folks that smoke loud. Okay. Y'all, come on now. Let's not do this. There are some people you used to kick it with because you bonded over certain drinks. 
okay? My dark liquor people kick it with dark liquor people sometimes. That's your drink of choice. There are some people you are in fellowship with because you like to kick it in the same places and do certain things and have a certain lifestyle that aligns with each other. Jesus was not just around the sinners to co-sign or support their sin. He interjected himself in the circles because he was purposeful in showing them why they needed a savior. <laughs> he wasn't there to say, oh, you need a friend or you need someone to speak softly to your sin or to make you feel comfortable for the mess that you were in or to say, it's okay, God knows your heart. That's not why he was there. He was there to show them why you need a savior. He was there to show them why you were messed up. And listen, I'm here for you to pull you out of the mess that you're in. Jesus understood that without the cross, we were doomed. We were destined for hell, and we were stuck in eternity without God apart from him. And we better stop parading around people like they don't need Jesus, like they won't go to hell if they do not repent. And It is not us being judgmental, but you are not serving them any good if you co-sign the mess they are in. Okay. Let me calm down. Matthew 10, 34. I want to read this for you. Matthew 10, 34. I want to read a couple of verses for you. This is Jesus talking. He said, uh, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life shall my, for my sake shall find it. Okay. Jesus says, uh, don't be confused. I did not come to play with you. He said, I did not come so that we can hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But I came so that you would be aware that apart from me, no man shall see the Father. He said, uh, I didn't come, come to make you feel comfortable in the mess that you're in and tell you that it's going to be okay and that eventually all of a sudden you'll just get out. No, no, that's not what I came. He said, I came to draw a line in the sand. I came to set the standard, not the standard of the church, not the standard of a pastor, not the standard of the bishop, but I came to bring a sword that the moment you begin to live holy and stand for righteousness, it's going to shake some things up. Many of us can testify the moment you decided to start living right, talking right, walking right. It's some people that don't want you around no more. It's going to be some family members that say, I don't want you in my house no more. I don't want you at the barbecue no more. You can't come to the kickback no more because your holiness is making me uncomfortable. Listen, I don't care if my holiness and my righteousness is making you uncomfortable. That's what I'm supposed to be. We better start being light of the world and stop trying to blend in with the world. How is it you're going to turn down your light to be a okay in dark spaces to fit in is 
Listen, we don't want to be sought no more. We just want to be sought at everybody else. But you better learn that God has called you to be different, that God has called you to be set apart, as God has called you to change some things. Jesus said, if you love things, if you love being accepted by other people, if you're okay with being cool with the craziness of the world and what they say is okay, if you choose to compromise and be accepted by the people you hang with, then guess what? You're not worthy of me. And this right here is the type of Jesus we don't like to talk about. We love to talk about the Jesus that's welcoming everybody and always smiling, but we don't talk about the Jesus who flipped up the tables in the sanctuary. We don't talk about that Jesus. The church doesn't want to celebrate this Jesus. It's the Jesus who says you can't serve two masters. You got to choose. So yes, Jesus showed up where the sinners were. He had dinner. He had lunch. He popped up at the wedding. He knocked on some doors, but he came to tell the people, listen, he that takes up his cross and follows me, he is worthy. But if you don't take up your cross, if you don't put some things down, he came to show them the truth. He came to show them the Savior and gave them an opportunity to pick up their cross and drop their addictions and drop their sin and drop their backslidden state and stop the damnation and pick up the cross and walk with me. Okay. Don't get mad at me. But, but, but we've got this idea that if we just watered down Jesus a little bit, it would draw more people into the church. But the issue is this, more people doesn't equate to more power. This church can be full of people, but powerless. I'd rather have a church with five people with power than 3,000 people with no power. No ability to pray. No ability to change a neighborhood. No ability to pray away a code. But we talk about how much power we got because we got numbers. I don't care about numbers if we don't have Jesus. Okay. Um, see, we feel like we have to be the person that, well, I shouldn't say that or I shouldn't offend them or I shouldn't, but the gospel is offensive. Okay. So you won't get mad at me. I prefer to let the gospel tell me how we should socialize. Oh, play. Uh, Matthew 9. Matthew 9 is important. Matthew 9, 11 through 13. So, so, so I'm, I'm going to show you what they say. Because yes, Jesus was in the company of some people. Okay? He was around in some spaces. He, he, he was there. It says, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples... Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, they're talking to the disciples. But you know, Jesus is everywhere at once, so he hears everything that they're saying. <laughs> it says, when Jesus heard that, they weren't talking to Jesus, they're talking about Jesus. But Jesus said, oh, yo, 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 you're talking about me? Well, since you're talking about me, let me tell you about me. 
He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But, but go and learn what this means. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? To repentance. He says, I'm not here to have fun and to hang out and to drink with them and to do everything with them. I'm here to call them to repentance. They said, Jesus, you're eating with the tax collectors. You're kicking it with the sinners. He says, uh, uh, you're, you're around there with the scammers and those that sin. And he says, I'm not with them because I want to do what they do. I'm in their presence because they are sick and need healing. And I'm calling them to repentance. And before you go into those circles, you better make sure you walk in with some power so you can call some people to repentance. You can't change nobody if you ain't been changed. You can't free nobody if you still in bondage. You better make sure you're free before you walk into some spaces. Okay. I know we don't want to be that guy or be that girl. But God is not saying have fellowship with the world. He's calling you to call them to repentance. And it does not mean I have to go and make a list of all their wrongs. It does not mean I got to sit there and tell them how messed up they are. But it means that when I'm around, I don't make it seem as if God is okay with sin through my enjoying and through my engaging in sinful behavior. And the question you got to ask yourself is, who are you in fellowship with? Okay, the issue is that instead of us influencing them, we end up being influenced. Instead of the Holy Spirit having hold of us and helping us shine light in darkness, we take out the battery and go into darkness looking like darkness. And what you have to do is you have to learn to come from among them and be set apart. Okay, I'm going to give you this. You'll need this this week as well. I'm going to give you this and let you go home. Uh, first, uh, first, Corinthians 15, 33. It's very simple. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Okay. Bad company corrupts good character. Okay. Um, many years ago, I seen this study, and, and they were dealing with bullfrogs. And what they noticed is that this particular bullfrog had the ability to make itself blend in with this environment, but not from a color standpoint, but from a temperature standpoint. So this is what would happen. Um, the bullfrog would be placed in a pot of boiling water. The water was hot, so the bullfrog naturally does what? Jumps out. It jumps out of the boiling water. It's too hot. It kept doing that, so then they said, okay, we're gonna put it in the water, and then we're going to boil it. So it's already in room temperature water. The bullfrog gets in the water, room temperature, it adjusts its temperature to be comfortable in the room temperature water. They turn it up 100 degrees. They monitor the bullfrog's blood type and blood level in the heat of his blood, and they notice that he turned up his temperature 100 degrees to make himself be comfortable in the environment. They turn it up to 200 degrees, and what does the bullfrog do? makes himself comfortable in the environment. They turned it up to where it started to boil. 
And what the bullfrog does is because it wants to be comfortable in the environment, instead of jumping out, it instead boils itself to death. Because it kept on making itself comfortable with the environment. What the enemy wants to do to you is to cause you to be in spaces and in environments that are not really for you. And the enemy will turn up the degrees of hell on your life. And instead of you getting out, you deceive yourself and say, you know what? I'm okay with this. I can be comfortable in this environment. I can be comfortable with this sin. I can be okay with this particular situation. And to the point where you boil yourself to death. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character and you will kill yourself in the process. The text says, and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. All right, we got to finish this next week, but I, but I, but I got to give you this. It says Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. Praise and worship team, you can come keep me honest. Musician, you can come keep me honest. That way I'll, I'll end. If not, I'm going to keep on going. We'll finish this next week. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. Okay. The word honorable in Hebrew means heavy. It was heavy. It has some weight to it. It's heavy because it's glorious. It means that what he carried was the glory. What he carried was something that was of substance. He was more honorable. He was heavy. He was weighty. All right. Listen, I want a life that has some weight to it. I don't want all the glamour and, and all the fame and just to say I was the man, just to say I was not. I don't want that. But I want to be honorable and that my life has impact, my life has substance. The worst thing you can be is all dressed up with no substance. It was honorable, it was heavy because it had abundance. See, when you live according to godly character, your life will exemplify the abundance and blessings of God. Listen to me. I'm not talking about the type of blessing where you just got money. I'm not talking about money blessing. But I'm talking about a type of blessing that's so heavy that you don't have room enough to receive it. It's such an abundance you can't even take anymore if you wanted to. It's not just a monetary blessing. But it's not just a bless my bank account type of blessing. But it's walking in favor in the promises of God type of blessing. Okay, when I'm honorable, the abundance of blessing can cause me to be unemployed. Yet still paying my bills with no issue. Okay. When you're walking honorable and in abundance... You can still be moving in promotion and success in your career. Even when supervisors have plotted against you. Even when they're lying on you on the job. When you have an honorable life, you'll still find yourself moving up the ladder. Even though every single thing is pinned against you. 
even though every scenario looks like you're going to lose, when you have an honorable life, you'll continue to win over and over and over and over again. Okay. The word honorable is not just reserved for my brothers and sisters of the nation of Islam. But the word honorable is for every believer. I'm the honorable Yavaselis. I'm the honorable Elder Wingrove. I'm the honorable Christopher Hearn. I'm the honorable. Not because I'm so good, but because Jesus took the blanket of honor that was covered in blood and laid it over my life. I want to live an honorable life like Jabez. Anybody want to have generational impact? Stand on your feet if you want to have generational impact. It starts with us living an honorable life. Godly character. Guarding your thoughts. Being mindful of who you hang with and who you're around. We're going to finish this next week. But this week, we got some things to work on. As my prayer warriors come, this is what I want to do. One of the toughest battles you're going to fight is the battlefield of the mind. One of the hardest things you're going to have to fight is the battlefield of the mind. There are some things and some lifestyles that we don't want to live anymore. There are some thoughts we want to stop having. There are some things we want God to do in our life to change us, to correct us, to heal us, to pull us out of some stuff. But if your thought process is not right, you'll keep walking back to old things. And so hear me today. If you know for a fact you need to work on your thought life, you think, what you think about yourself, what you believe about yourself, what you think about your circumstance. You're tired of telling yourself you can't. You're tired of telling yourself that you can't do it, that you're not worthy enough. That's a Thank you for listening to the New Birth Christian Ministries podcast. Visit us online at newbirthcm.org.